David Papavisi and Eric Gilmore here talking about 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't hear our talk on chapter 1, I'll post it up right now. You can click on it and watch it. But uh, trying to recap before we jump into chapter 2, it seems like Paul and Timothy have such a deep connection and their hearts are one. While Paul is encouraging Timothy not to be afraid, though persecution seems to be at his doorstep. Paul from prison is saying the power of God is in him and he's encouraging Timothy that he has the same power and that God has not given him a spirit of fear and that there is a a clinging to the gospel that Paul is wanting Timothy to uh, to have that in the midst of the craze of of life and false doctrines Paul is is urging him to stay with the standard of sound words. Um, and so it seems to be a, a pretty quick synopsis of what we were talking about in the first chapter. And it's very similar here in the second chapter. There seems to be a strong uh, desire that Paul has to see the truth of the gospel unmixed and, and it, like the retaining of the standard of sound words. I think it's beautiful. So Dave, you want to just throw a couple of thoughts out at us for chapter two? Yes. Yeah. Um, just even with the first verse, he, he tells Timothy, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> and so he starts out with reminding Timothy that power comes from leaning. Grace is, is just that leaning into the person of the Lord. Of course, like you mentioned in chapter one, he, when he talked about the spirit that has been given to you, he's reminding him that, that the source of power and love and a sound mind comes from, from um, engaging with the person of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he goes on to continue, even as you mentioned, he, he, uh, He's charging his son and he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this is verse two, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I definitely believe here that Paul is talking about discipleship, the difference between making disciples and just seeing converts come to faith. Of course, seeing converts come to faith is foundational for making disciples. And we we can't make disciples out of chairs, right? We need people that, that leave the world, right? Repent from sin and place their trust and their faith in Jesus. But he's talking about a message that he has made known in the presence of others that I think he references later on, even in verse eight, but he, he's charging him to take this and entrust it to faithful men. It's interesting how Jesus uh, speaks to the church. And he says that on that day, when we stand before him to those that were, were genuine in their faith and true, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm. It's not well done, good and successful servant or mm. gifted servant or whatever the case may be. It's well done, good and faithful servant. Paul with that same heart is looking for his, his teaching Timothy to identify faithful men who will then in turn find other faithful men and who in verse three would be willing to pay a price, mm-hmm. give some imagery there, but who would be willing to pay a price uh, to see that that treasure that has been entrusted to them passed on to another generation. Do you see that the hardship and soldiership are connected? Do you feel like the fact that he's saying soldier is suggesting hardship? Yeah, I believe so. I, I think when he's talking, even in, in verse two, I, I think he's alluding to both advancing the gospel through evangelism and through the work of making disciples and walking with people through the different seasons of, of, of growth in Christ. And, you know, of course, we know well that both of those things bring obstacles and and the devil, as he you know had orchestrates this world system, even we see in the scriptures that he's the prince of this world system and this Babylon world system that opposes Christ, opposes his values, opposes his glory. 
Um, I believe that there's no price that the enemy doesn't pay or there's, there's no restrictions to the opposition against souls being set free from sin so that they would be saved and the bride, which is the church, being mm. purified and being prepared and matured for his return. And so I think there, there's suffering connected to those two things. Mm. The, the world system is bent against it. And so I think he's specifically, I don't think he's specifically talking here about like your own private faith, although there are elements of suffering that we can talk about in a different context with that. I think he's specifically talking about as you advance the gospel and you Mm -hmm. make disciples, right? You're beautifying the friend of the bridegroom, you know, John the Baptist. Yeah. You're you're preparing the bride for Christ's return. Hell is going to oppose you. But these, you know, people and uh, their hearts that have been surrendered to, to, to darkness for so long, you know, it's, it's going to manifest. And so I think that's what he's talking about. So that's why I think he touches on these three different things, soldier, like you mentioned, and then a couple of other ones. Yeah. So let's look at verse seven and then we'll talk about the three analogies uh, that, that he uses. So in verse seven, the scripture says, Paul, consider what I say for the Lord will give understanding and everything. What a promise that the Lord himself will open up our eyes to see as we consider the the word consider that's used there is actually to think about it reminds me of proverbs 24 32 where he says i looked and i received instruction as you give attention you receive instruction or in luke 9 44 jesus says let these words sink into your ears there's a mm-hmm. consideration aspect a, an actual uh thinking through that God sees as seeking and then rewards with finding, which is what I believe to be understanding. Isaiah 512 uh, speaks of the wicked and they're described as they do not consider. <laughs> so that they don't, wow. they don't think, you know, about these things. Um, also, uh, Matthew Henry, I wrote this down. He says, if he who gave the revelation in the word does not give the understanding in the heart, then we are nothing. <laughs> he says, consideration is the way to understand, remember, and practice what we hear or read. So do you, do, have you seen in your own personal life a uh, connection between meditation and revelation? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's uh, as we give un, un, there's something about unbroken attention mm. that uh, draws upon revelation. You know, when we really give God our attention in an unbroken kind of way and we really start to, to dwell upon, you know, Mary treasured those words that the angel has spoken to her in her heart. Mm. Um, Paul says, dwell upon these things or think upon these things in, in, in Philippians chapter four. Mm. Um, and so absolutely, I believe there's a connection between meditating upon the person of the Lord and his words mm-hmm. and the revelation of the spirit. So farmer, oh, wait, sorry. It's soldier first, athlete second, farmer last. Just talk to me a little bit about why you think he uses these three. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure for for different reasons. I'm sure definitely he's he's using you know word pictures from his own context and generation. I mean, there's probably Roman or soldiers everywhere. Uh, I know you know sports was a big thing. Obviously, it is still to this day. But even in their own generation and farming, you know, that's. I think he's pulling on you know just like Jesus would use terms that uh, his hearers would understand, but. A couple of things that stand out, well, at least one thing with each one of them that I think it's it speaks about, and I'm sure it could be more exhaustive, but and one thing that I think he's saying to not be. So one thing he's saying to be and not be. So the soldier is is he says a soldier wants to please the one who enlisted him. Mm-hmm. And so he has a very focused, a very focused mission. Mm-hmm. So he's he's encouraging him to live to please the one by staying on course and staying mm-hmm. focused on the mission at hand. Um, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus, Paul calls it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but the opposite 
of that is then to be distracted and to be sucked into worldly affairs. Uh-huh. Whether those things would be illicit things or innocent in and of themselves, taking our eyes off Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's casting off the, the weights and the sins that so easily entangle so mm-hmm. that we can look to the person of Jesus yeah. <laughs> and, and live in a way that's pleasing to him. So I think that's definitely the soldier. With the athlete, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because he uses something very, very similar at the end uh-huh. of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he compares himself to an athlete who's, who's running a race. And then he says that he, he beats his body or buffets his body to make it his slave. So that after he's preached to others, he himself would not be disqualified. Mm. And, but here he's specifically talking about an athlete has to play by the rules. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't get to change the rules because you are the one invited to the games. Right. And Paul's talking about that in first Corinthians chapter nine, like just because of his encounter with God, right. His open eye vision of Jesus, all the signs and the wonders that doesn't make it okay for you to sin. You know what I mean? I think it's, I think it's so, and we see it all the time. You know, this it's, it's that the feeling that maybe because God may use somebody that he may wink maybe at this particular sin or, you know, nobody's perfect or God knows I need to do this or whatever the case may be. But he's, he's, he's very clear, you know, an athlete is, is disciplined. Like Paul talks about first Corinthians chapter nine, I discipline my body, meaning I have to play by the same rules that I preach. Mm. You know, I, ha- I have to live by the same standards of the message that, that Christ has given me to, to speak to others. Um, and then the farmer, you know, farmers, definitely anybody who's done farming knows that it takes patience and hard work. Like you're not planting something and going to see the, the produce of it like yeah. tomorrow, not even next week. <laughs> you know I mean? And it may start small and then oh, not, it may start. It's going to start very small. <laughs> right? And then it just shows you that I'm not a farmer, but uh, <laughs> patience and hard work, I think is definitely what he's alluding to. Yeah. So, and, and, and being and motivated by the reward. That's good. The hardworking, the patient farmer, is the one who inherits the reward versus the impatient and faint of heart. Mm. The, the one who, and it happens, I think in, in the church often, it happens in ministry where uh, God gives us something. He speaks something to our hearts, you know, whether it's a personal word, maybe it's a word for our family, a loved one, maybe it's a word connected to our calling, having to do with how God is wanting to use us or whatever the case may be. And, and sometimes it, we don't see that, you know, happen right away. In fact, we're not going to see mm-hmm. that happen right away. God works it in us. He wants to make us the thing. But, you know, it takes to see the word really come to pass fully. It, it takes years. You know, if, if the word that God gives us for our life or for our family comes to pass tomorrow, do you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's gotta be much greater than that. Uh, and so um, it's so easy to get discouraged. Uh, and to get impatient rather than to remain patient, remain steadfast and immovable and look to the reward, knowing that we will share in the crops and the do reward. You, do you think that the waiting itself almost prepares a platform to hold the thing when it comes? And that's good. That's uh, good. I feel like it's similar in my life. Uh, Concerning the soldier, Charles Spurgeon writes, Though he meddles with common things, he is to take care he is not entangled by them. There is a way, you know, of making the actions of life subservient to the purpose of divine grace. I'll read that last section again. There is a way, you know, of making the actions of life subservient to the purposes of divine grace. He goes on and says, this is the Christian's business. Be not entangled with the cares of this life. Notice he doesn't say don't care about anything. He's saying right, don't, be in, don't be entangled by the care, um, which is, I think is very important. As far as the uh, athlete goes, I love the point that you, that you put out. You can't go out of bounds. 
it's, it's those scriptures are our boundary lines. If we take it on a theological standpoint where he wants him to retain the standard of sound words, the boundary lines could also be taken as good theology, <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ, sure. and not, you know, going outside of what has already been revealed to us. I think sometimes we can get so spiritual that we go outside the boundaries of what has already been revealed to us. And this is very dangerous. As we saw in, in, I think it's verse 18 in this chapter, there was a guy that was saying that resurrection already took place. And then lastly, this was, I thought this was very keen insight. It's by Witness Lee. Um, tell me what you think about this. He said, because remember it says there that the farmer will be the first one to take of his crops. Witness Lee says, we must be eating of the Lord first before feeding other people. And so, mm, interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen it like that, but yeah. I definitely don't disagree with, with yeah. the statement. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see it either until I pulled out his, his commentary, but I love that principle because you and I both live this way because we value the table of the Lord, uh, the personal, uh, edibility of God. He, he makes himself edible to eat and to receive nutrients first. And then from there, giving food to others. Um, even as Robert Murray McShane said, the basket of fragments, our ministry should be the remains of what we ate from the Lord. We give a basket of fragments to the world from the miracle we eat on a daily basis. Anyways, I thought that was so great. But um, so what do you think we should touch next? Are we hit the, we hit the three. Uh, you want to look at the remember Jesus Christ? Yeah. What great words, huh? I mean, if somebody looked at me and said, what is the best advice you can give to me? I would probably use those three words. Remember Jesus Christ. It's, it's remembering him and all that he was, all that he is, and all that he will be revealed to us in the scriptures. I wrote this down by uh, Matthew Henry. He says, the incarnation, you're going to love this, Dave. <laughs> the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ, heartily believed and rightly considered, will support the Christian under all sufferings in this present life. <laughs> wow, that's uh, good. It reminds me of Hebrews 3.1, consider Jesus. Uh, so what are you thinking? No, that's great. And, and remember Jesus Christ. That's also, I mean, that's what communion is. <laughs> the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord is every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, right? We call to memory. Mm -hmm. Jesus, we relive the event of passion, right? The week of passion. It's, uh, it's what the Jews would do, obviously, on Passover. They, they would re remind themselves. They would relive the event. And, it, and the power of it is released wow. again by faith <laughs> when we recall. the. And obviously, to us, Jesus is, is the embodiment of it all. And so I think it's interesting that he actually, so he says, remember Jesus and that by itself, we can, it would take us eternity to exhaust, right? <laughs> like to, to really get, remember Jesus Christ. I mean, just that statement, like you mentioned, but he, I, I don't think it's, it's coincidental though, with what Paul is talking to his son, Timothy about that. He mentions risen from the dead, mm -hmm. right? So remember Jesus, the resurrected one, the mm -hmm. one whom death could not hold, right? Sin and the grave could not hold and he is also the offspring of david he's the davidic king as preached in my gospel and so he talks about the resurrection obviously power over death power over sin and the grave mm -hmm. he is the the second adam <laughs> he is the beginning of a new race of people spirit-filled believers mm -hmm. and he is the king according to the lineage of david and and even the gospel, we, you know, we know the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist did. Paul preached the gospel of the kingdom. When mm -hmm. we say kingdom, of course, there's, there's, there's a narrative that, that begins at the, you know, at the very foundation of creation. And, and we see it uh, you know, through the line and through the seed of Eve all the way through. But then, of course, in a unique way in the life of David, this king who has the heart, who has a heart after God. <laughs> and who leads the people of God into the, the tabernacle, you know, to, to, he, he fills it with singers and musicians and they worship the Lord. And, 
and he expresses in an in a incomplete way as a man, a broken man at that, <laughs> something that was unique. There was never a king like him before or after. Hmm. Uh, and so he is the resurrected king. He is the resurrected king. Remember this, Jesus, the wow. resurrected king, as I preached and for which I suffered. And of course, later on, we find out that this, there are some in the community that are actually trying to draw attention away from his res, the nature of the resurrection, mm-hmm. which sin and death and the grave could not hold, and also from his kingship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe, at least, that that it's it, it connects even with with some of the strange teachings that that he addresses. And he calls this the gospel. You see it right there, according to my gospel. So that's the essence. And we we talked about this last time that the gospel is not the runway for us to take off. The gospel is the engine. Consistently remembering the gospel is probably the greatest thing a man can do every day because it resets your love. It requickens your heart. It brings you right back to the place where you're supposed to be and puts him where he's supposed to be. Notice that he says here, this is why I suffer, for which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a criminal he's he's saying this gospel is so opposed to this world system that i am because of it treated as a criminal <laughs> wow. you you brought up last time uh an inverse which was which was really good where the world and those that are in the kingdom and the way that they're seen backwards in uh in in this life and in and in the the age to come it's very similar here. He's seen to be a criminal. I think. What was it that you said last time? You said though he's the freest man, they want to bind freedom. You remember that? Right. Yeah. 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 The bound ones seek to bind the free. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And here he is again. He is the farthest thing from a criminal. He's a son of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus, yet a criminal. <laughs> they want to, you know, incriminate him. That's good. But it, it says he's he's in prison. But look at this verse ten, which to me is a I don't even know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. Like, it's a fantastic synopsis of a an apostolic heart. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. He's so burdened that people will enter into Christ and His eternal glory. That for this reason, that's His motivation that he would suffer whatever it is. I remember the words of David Brainerd. He said, I care not where I live or what hardships I may go through that I may but win souls to Christ. This is that apostolic burden. Wow. What do you think? That's amazing, bro. I think it's, I think it's interesting because, you know, we t- talked about the gospel, right? He, the gospel, and of course, he summarizes it. It's not an exhaustive list, but he summarizes it as the resurrected king and uh, he says, for which I suffer. So Paul, he embodies it as the lamb. He embodies this message of the resurrected king as the lamb. As, as a, <laughs> you know, Jesus, obviously, even in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies and, and calls Jesus the suffering servant. And so Paul, in like manner, embodies this message of resurrection, which is, I mean, resurrection, right? Death could not hold you. You won. You beat death. No one beats death, right? Like, you know, people joke, there's two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes, right? Like, no, like taxes, laws can change. Death, nobody can beat it, right? Death, he beat it. And he's the king who rules all. And how does, how does God choose to display that? Through a suffering servant, mm. right? It's like, wait, wait a minute, whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> so Paul, as a suffering one, who is now calling Timothy to like the lamb, because the lamb is the source. The lamb is the king. The lamb is the resurrected one. And so that by itself, just Philippians 2, mm. I mean, it just screams Philippians 2. You know what I mean? But uh, I think it's interesting that he links his endurance to their inheritance in verse mm. 10. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the elect that they may obtain, that they may obtain. And in when we can maybe in a, in a moment here, I guess we'll probably touch on this hymn or this, um, I guess hymn, uh, this new early first century hymn where he talks about enduring for this, those that endure will rule with him. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's definitely a link here between 
his endurance that is necessary, the, the endurance of the hardship and the opposition against him. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we know he's seeking to establish them. He talks to the churches. He encourages them. He seeks to establish them. He writes to the Corinthians. He wants to purge evil from the midst of them. He wants them to be pure. He talks again in the second Corinthians, you know, I betrothed you to Christ as a pure virgin. I'm afraid that the, that the enemy may deceive you from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. He, he's, he's warning them against those that may appear as angels of light, but they, they're actually masquerading themselves. They're false teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's enduring this opposition against him so that they themselves would come into that for which Christ spilled his blood for. Mm-hmm. He is really the friend of the bridegroom. <laughs> like he's, 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 I'm the friend of the bridegroom that rejoices in his voice. He's jealous for the bridegroom to receive the bride that he rightfully deserves. But there's a link between, I think it's interesting that there's a link between him enduring and them receiving. It makes me think of like how we think as like parents. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like as a, as a parent, there's certain things, obviously I wouldn't compare it to the same degree at all, but the mindset of a father or, or yeah. a mother. As parents, we, you know, our, our children, you know, at the ages that they're at, they're not thinking to themselves like, you know, dad and mom are really sacrificing. I didn't think about those things until I became an adult and I had my own kids and I was like, oh, wow. Like they, they really did do things and sacrifice time and comfort, et cetera, so that I would actually, you know, be able to succeed in life. And what, mm-hmm. you know, even in practical ways, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So the trustworthy statement here, or as you said, an early church hymn, it reads, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Uh, Reading through this personally, I see the very first statement has to do with our co-death. By faith, we died with him. And in that death, we died to the old man. We, by faith, now live with him. So after death, raised with him, even as it says in Colossians, it says, if you have been raised up with Christ, therefore keep seeking the things which are above. So to me, it's like he's almost encapsulating or this hymn encapsulates the entire Christian situation by faith. We died. Now we're alive in his presence with him. We now live in his presence. And if we remain there in his presence as those alive from the dead, that's endurance. And we're promised a reign with him out ahead. But there's this clause in here that brings sobriety and the fear of the Lord. If we no longer live in his presence, we no longer walk with him. We no longer live as those who have been risen from the dead by enduring. Then we deny him and he will deny us. And I've read a couple commentaries and some believe that this second statement here, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. It's an, it's an exposing, uh, not an exposing, a, uh, a clarification of what was just said. For instance, it says, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, which would be the same thing as denying the Lord, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, if you deny him, you get denied. And if you're faithless, he can't deny himself. He's got to stay true to what he's already said, which is this, without faith. It is impossible to please God. Um, now, again, that's just a commentary. What do you? What are your thoughts on that whole hymn? Yeah, everything you said, <laughs> I would, I would, I would say the same. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with. I would, I would hold to that. I think it's, it is just that, like you mentioned. I think it's a great way to actually put it. Is uh, like an like he's talking about the gospel. He says, "Remember." Uh, Jesus Christ. And then he says, you know, my gospel, he told Timothy, you know, what I've shared publicly before others, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously trusted to him and trust others who are faithful 
again, interestingly, he said faithful, right? Entrust yeah. it to the faithful, right? Uh, that they would entrust it to others. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's spot on. First, uh, verse 14, he says. First part, Galatians 2.20. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You, you there? Yep. Yeah, you got me? Yeah, yeah, it, it broke up real bad. Can you hear me? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, oh, no, I got you. It, it made me, yeah. Uh, verse 14 says, remind them of these things. It's, it's almost as if this hymn needs to be kept before us constantly. It's warnings and it's promises. It's realities and it's expectation. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. And now he, he goes into the opposite of remembering these things, which is wrangling about to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. So there, there's a contrast there. This is sound doctrine. Everything apart from this, don't, don't give attention to it. And then he brings the solemn charge. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, which we know to be the remembrance of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the descendant of David, according to his gospel, this whole hymn. What, what are you thinking? That's good, man. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. Remind them of these things. It's uh, even in, in the worship that they would offer this hymn, it points back to the gospel. Like mm -hmm. the, the hymns that they sang were peppered with yeah. the person of the Lord and his, his message to his people and uh i think it's so important well i know it's so important we know what's so important for for sound teaching or for truth and it's interesting that he actually talks about in verse 16 but avoid irreverent mm -hmm. babble there's there's and then if, later on he talks about uh even he he again we talked about this last time in, in, in um, second timothy chapter one how in Second Timothy, he actually names people. I think I haven't done like in-depth uh, research on this, but I think maybe more so than any other letter that he writes. And this is the end of his life. This is at the end of his life. And so uh, I don't know if it's just unique to the message, or if it's like you know when people get older, they just don't care anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like I'm just going to say what I'm thinking, and I don't yeah. care. You know? and, and it's a it's a personal letter. It was not meant to be read aloud, right? It's to him. Uh, while we yeah. have other letters where he says, "Read this to the to the assembly." This is not so. This is he's talking directly to a friend here, or you know, that's good. Yeah, it, it may be one of the reasons why he's so open. But isn't it interesting that sandwiching that charge to accurately handle the word of truth, S sandwiching it is this wrangling about words and worldly empty chatter. It's, it's almost as if he's showing everything outside of accurately handling the word of truth is useless and is empty and leads to further ungodliness. I, I looked up this word ungodliness and it, it, it means to negate worship. So what begins wow. to happen as men become worldly and talk about these empty things is it furthers the lack of worship. So worship decreases. And as we see this talk spreads like gangrene. So you have the more you give attention to worldly empty chatter, wrangling about words, not only does it ruin the hearers, but it spreads really fast. And while that is spreading, worship decreases. So the, un the uh, empty chatter and worldliness increase and worship decreases. Yeah, no, it's good. I, it, in, in, uh, in verse 16 for, uh, I think it says, does it say empty chatter, avoid empty chatter for you in 16? Yes. That's NASB. So in the ESV, it, it, it says irreverent chatter or irreverent babble. Mm. I'm not sure exactly how, how it's written out in, in, in ancient Greek, but I think it's interesting that he mentions, at least in this um, translation, irreverent. Um, I don't know if the connotation would be there, but I think when we approach the scriptures without reverence, mm -hmm. 
there's room for us to manipulate the scriptures to fit our desires. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? When he talks about being a work, a worker that has no need to be ashamed because he rightly handles the word. It's, it's the one who comes to the word so that God can speak to him mm-hmm. um, rather than the person who comes to the word, who wants to use the word to maneuver the word, to be able to use it to advance him or whatever particular mm-hmm. agenda he may have on any given Sunday morning behind a pulpit or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. It could be in his own personal life, you know, whatever the case is, you know how easy it is, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, I'm sure this has happened to you plenty of times, you know, raising up those that come to faith. And maybe we did this when we were young in our faith, but sometimes you'll go around and ask different people for an opinion rather than going to the Lord. Right. So it's like, you know, different people come to me like, Hey, like this is going on. What do you think I should do? And, and I'll yeah. always ask them first, have you gone to the Lord and to his word? And so I'm like, yeah, but you know, and then I'll tell them, I'll, I'll redirect them to that. And then they'll see that they're not getting the answer that they want from me. So they'll go to somebody else and ask somebody else. And then usually it'll be like a line of people until they find the one who says what they wanted to hear in the first place or cosigns, right? Their desires. And then they're like, I'm going to stick with you. You know, yeah. like, 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 it's like, I'm with you. I'm going to stick with you. You know, like, and so it's, I think he t- when he's saying irreverent babbles, when we come to the word with that kind of a mindset, mm-hmm. like, let me find a verse that can somehow I can maneuver to have it say what I wanted to say in this particular situation yes. versus like, Lord, my heart is open, open. before you. Yes. you are King, I love you. Mm-hmm. I want to do, I, I want you today. Speak to my heart from your word. Yeah. So, That's so uh, good. Open hearts and open Bibles. Yeah. 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 So here he talks about going astray from the truth, which is, I think, very in keeping with why he wants to remind them of these things. He wants them to remember Jesus Christ. He wants them to retain the, the standard of sound words. It's just so important to Paul that we remain clinging to Christ. And I think in that day and in our day, there's such a uh, danger of of adding to Christ or moving past Christ, but this is what Paul's, he's completely committed to, and it is the person of Jesus Christ. So let's talk for a second. We'll end with this. The large, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So yeah, even after he mentions these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who uh, started to say that the resurrection already took place right after, right after that, he says, the Lord knows those who are his, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from sin. So he's, he, it seems like he implies, or he may be implying here that connected to their aberrant teaching is a desire to gratify the flesh. And Mm. so then he goes on to this example and this chapter seems to be filled with examples and word pictures of a great house. And, and I'm reminded of like first Corinthians chapter three, where he talks about his own apostolic ministry. He lays a foundation, uh, but then others add to that foundation. And he mentions these, these, this imagery, even from like the tabernacle and the temple, where you had gold and silver and precious stones, but then others would add to it other things uh, that were, and those things were not just precious, but they were imperishable. They're mm-hmm. imperishable things. But then others add to it wood, hay, and stubble, but everything will be tested by fire, uh-huh. right? And so it's interesting that he mentions honorable, dishonorable, and those that cleanse themselves mm-hmm. from what is dishonorable will be vessels of honor. So two things stand out to me. Number one, he puts the responsibility upon them. But then we also know from the scripture that you cannot cleanse yourself, literally. And Mm -hmm. so it's making the decision to turn from sin, making a choice to turn from sin, to turn to Christ, who gives you the power to live free from sin. Mm. Right? So it's, Mm -hmm. so he's not saying like, clean yourself up so that you can be accepted by the Lord and then he'll make you useful. Mm -hmm. It's make the decision is the surrender of the will Mm -hmm. to the Lord by saying no to, he goes on to say in verse 22, 
these youthful passions, these youthful lusts, mm -hmm. so that you can turn to the Lord who will then empower you to live free from these things mm -hmm. and build within you these divine uh, characteristics or just divine character that he talks about, like righteousness, faith, yeah. love, and peace. Yeah, it says there, those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So I think that's the root of what you're saying. Turning from sin and calling on God with a pure heart. Lord, I need you. It's calling on him. Uh, I think that's the essence of even repentance. It's saying, Lord, I don't want this. I want you. I turn from these things and I call upon your name. And that in and of itself is the root of faith and love and the the, the the way to peace. But verse 23, he again, he brings it up. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. I looked up the word speculations, and it has to do with imaginations, like creating things that are not there. It's man actually imposing or, or, or literally creatively coming up with things. <laughs> I thought that was so great. Ignorant creations of men's minds. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy how how for some people, uh, the temptation is to believe that Jesus is not sufficiently all inclusively enough that they have to create other things to try to <laughs> keep them entertained. <laughs> right? It's uh, it's getting. It's you know, Doctor Brown used to always say major on the majors and minor on the minors. Yeah. And, and I think that there can be debate, there, there can be, there can be healthy and even should be healthy debate amongst brothers where we wrestle with the scriptures and Hey, what's your perspective? And I have yeah. a lot of friends who have different perspectives on different things, but not on the majors, Yeah, you know, so majoring on the majors with our attention and our time, minoring on the minors. And, and he even mentions how the Lord's servants should not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach. Yeah. Um, I think he's also addressing like, he's trying to stop the root of strife. Mm -hmm. Of course, earlier he talked about false teaching, like, okay, let's identify these that are teaching things, maybe from a motive, perhaps from a motive that they're really trying to indulge the flesh. Mm -hmm. But then there may be others who have just gotten off the majors and now are sources of strife in the body. Yeah, I mean, we so have I, an example I, right there saying that the resurrection has already taken place. What is, what is that? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's interesting because like you said, he talks about repentance. He says to correct in verse 25, your opponents, your opponents with mm -hmm. gentleness mm -hmm. that perhaps God may grant them repentance and lead them back to a oh. knowledge of the truth. And it's interesting how, he, 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 he puts them under the picture or the imagery of like being under a spell that they may come back to their senses and wow. escape Gosh. that they would escape and come back to their senses. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's the devil that's trapped them. And the spell he's put them under is for the purpose of them now being vessels of accomplishing his will. That's so good. And so it's, it's interesting that it's an exchange of words though, right? So it's, they're exchanging words that are taking the attention off of Jesus at center stage, yeah, and finding some other thing and trying to run wild with it, right? Whether it's some false teaching for the purpose of indulging the flesh or for the yeah. purpose of starting strife and competitive speech, yeah. but he says, rebut it with speech but pure and true speech in the character of Christ yes, with a heart's prayer and desire that God would snap them out of this like spell mm. so that they would again return to do the will of the Lord. That's so good. Verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, bondservant is a slave by your own will. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition it's almost as if these gentleness kindness and not being quarrelsome coupled together with being able to teach is the character that can turn somebody i think sometimes we can 
try to turn somebody without Christ's character. You know what I mean? Without being kind or or patient with them or gentle. That word gentle is so important. I mean, Paul says, let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is near. You know, there's there's something about recognition of the Lord's coming that should make our hearts gentle with people. Um, and so we see here, even with gentleness correcting. So this kindness and gentleness, I, I pray, would be the character and nature of all correcting, you know, that I do in my life, you know, that even goes on in the body. Because it's, it's a dangerous thing to be without these this patience and, and kindness and gentleness. That's like our Lord. Only the character of Jesus can turn people to Jesus, you know. That's good. Yeah. And even, even like we were talking about after he talks about the message of the gospel, the resurrected King for which Paul suffers. So he embodies this message that he preaches as a suffering servant or a suffering one or, you know, unto the lamb walking like the lamb. So we, we, the enemy opposes us by persecuting us Mm -hmm. And, and the way we war with those that are captives of the enemy is by, is, is, is by the way of the land. Mm-hmm. It's through gentleness and kindness yeah. patience. Uh, um, that we present and patience. So we're, we're warring with a, a lie that they have wrapped their hearts and the attention of their minds around. Like you mentioned, it's, it's with a message, but it's, doing so like the lamb mm. because mm-hmm. you know a word and you know somebody can speak something that is true make a true statement but in a very untrue way <laughs> you know like it's a, your heart could be full of like anger and bitterness and manipulation even pr- manipulation pride you know whatever and you can make a statement to ch- and, and, and the statement in and of itself can be true. And so if we just read the statement on a piece of paper, it's one thing. But but we know that that's not the way that the kingdom of God operates. Paul yeah. says we have this treasure in earth and vessels. Mm-hmm. And so truth, uh, Jesus himself, who is the word of God, puts on flesh yes. to, to show us what it looks like huh. to receive truth and then embody it like him. Meaning yeah. like his, according to his character, according to his likeness, not truth that is now mixed with, you know, a heart yeah. that's unsurrendered and looks nothing like Jesus. It's so good. John twelve fifty. Jesus says, I speak the words my father gave me as he spoke them or as he said them. He doesn't just grab the words God said. He grabs the heart with which God said it, which I think is very important. Um, the last point I'll bring out. I just remembered it now. Remember at the very beginning of the chapter, Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Spurgeon creates this picture. And then he says, grace made you alive. But he says, I don't know anybody who is just content to be alive, but doesn't want to be clothed. Is is content being cold or content going hungry because they're just happy that they're alive. And he says, grace did make you alive, but you should be strong in that grace, clothing yourself, feeding yourself with that grace. That grace isn't just entrance into a new life. It is that and continually growing and having all your provisions through that same grace. Be strong in the grace, not just having grace, but a grace that is ever increasing and strengthening uh, the person's life. How they live their life, how they think, how they govern themselves. That's good, man. You want to pray for? That's us? really good. Yes, yes, and and even thinking of grace, I think for those maybe that that may be watching, I don't know how you would define grace. I know for me, I always try to see it from like two sides of the same coin. On the one side, it's unmerited favor, which you know we all know it's it's the un it, none of us deserve the free gift of life that God gives it's unmerited unearned favor of God. And then on the other side, it's the empowering presence of God. Uh, I don't know. Would you add anything to the definition of grace? I think, I think of it like something we 
don't deserve. Sure. It's his goodness that brings us to life. But it's at the same time, it's his empowering presence that causes us to live. Yeah. So grace is G-R-A-C-E. And we could say God's riches at Christ's expense. And we could say God's riches as Christ's empowerment. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so same, same spelling, but one is exp- he, he paid the expense and then he's the empowerment. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, I just thank you for this opportunity, even just to chop it up and to just look at your word together with Eric. And it's for this grace that we pray the same grace that Paul was telling Timothy to be strong in. Lord, we pray for all those that may be watching um, from all walks of life, from whatever, from different countries and different cities, that they would be strong in the grace of God, Lord, that you would give them a deep hunger for your word, to know you through your word, that they would rightfully handle the word of God, that they would remember Jesus Christ, (laughs) God, that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that they would have laser sharp vision to understand and to be able to see and to able to be able to understand the simplicity of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And Lord, that they would have the, the heart's focus, the patience, the hard work, the discipline, that they would set their heart towards obeying you yes. no matter what they have to suffer. Lord, mm-hmm. and, in, in loving obedience to you and the preaching of the gospel and in encouraging others and helping others, Lord, that they would, by the grace of God, mm-hmm. uh, pay any price necessary to go all the way with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, if you want to help out David Papavici's missions organization that is based in the Middle East, you can donate on uh, kgmiq.org kgmiq.org my information is down below and we love you guys praying for you we will be back in a week or so with chapter three super excited about that god bless you all matthew chapter 6 verse 6 jesus speaks to us about prayer He says, when you pray, go into your most private room and closing the door, pray to your father who sees in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. This actual text is what the entire course is going to be driving home. We must spend time with God. We're going to talk practically about how to experience him experiencing and enjoying God from the scriptures. These things have changed my life and I know the Lord will change yours as well.